Telling you, bro. What's been happening, bro? Uh, not too much. Still hitting more Peggyos. Hi, my name is Shane Terrio, and you are listening to The Riff Raff. Music, stories, and insights from the front line. All right, my guest today is Mr. Dweezil Zappa. I first met Dweezil a few years ago at the Crown of the Continent Guitar Festival. It's really an amazing, beautiful locale next to Glacier Lake in Big Fork, Montana, and we were both teaching and performing together. We hit it off and we did a lot of jamming and trading ideas together in between our classes. So fast forward to this year, we're at it again, teaching a week-long master class together to a small group of students. I consider Dweezil to be a musician of the highest level who's constantly striving for perfection and originality. I've always thought he was a really great guitar player. I had his solo record Confessions in the early 90s and I listened to that thing over and over. Although his father Frank Zappa left a huge set of shoes to fill that nobody can ever fill those, I do feel that Dweezil has not only continued to carry on the legacy of his father's music, but he also left his own footprint as one of the great guitar voices of our time. His many solo records and projects have proven this over and over. Now, Dweezil has done hundreds of interviews, but this was probably a different kind of interview for him in that I just let him go. We were just two guitar players, grew up sharing the same influences, just talking shop. And uh, it wasn't my intention to talk so much about Eddie Van Halen and Frank Zappa and 80s Shred and not, not as much about Dweezil's amazing band and his own projects and his current tour, Cease and Desist tour. It's just that, well, I don't know, just this is what just kind of happened and we ran out of time, but it's a really amazing interview. Got some great stories growing up with the guitar legends in the 80s, the challenges of playing the black page on guitar, jamming at the end. You'll hear about how I won a wiki amp from Dweezil 12 years ago before we met in a guitar contest. Um... And that was 12 years ago, Dweezil, I checked. But uh, we could have easily went on and on. We just ran out of time. So enjoy. I would like to give a special shout-out to Joe Guzzo for the use of his quiet cabin to do this interview and to Dennis Webster from Yamaha for the use of the amps. Thanks for listening. All right, I'm sitting here with Dweezil Zappa in Big Fork, Montana. That's right, in Montana. A Zappa in Montana, go figure. <laughs> Man, thanks for, uh, I mean, I know we've been hanging all week and teaching together and playing. Dweezil and I are doing a class together, but, you know, thanks for making the time. Absolutely. The week is hectic as we have to be at a, a rehearsal together. Yes, you know, it's all for the kids. It's all for the kids, man. I'm <laughs> teaching. But I've been wanting to do this, man. This is one of my, the ones I've been looking forward to, is to pick your brain. I got to say, you know, before we've known each other a little while now, but one of the things I like about you is we grew up listening to the same sort of music. Yeah, maybe, yeah. You know, but the thing is, is like you knew all the people, you know, like you, <laughs> you knew all the people like I idolized, man. You know, and I remember reading this interview in Guitar Player Magazine with you. You interviewed Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, that was a cool experience. And I was thinking... Dweezil's asking Eddie every question I'd ever want to ask him, man. Like, how many takes did it take you to do Eruption? I think it was one of the questions. Yep. You know, I mean, I just thought it was great, you know, that because uh, I would, I would, if I would have been in the spot, I, I wouldn't have changed one question, you know. The, the beauty of, of that time period, if you put it into perspective, uh, considering technology today and just considering music today, as, um, you know, we both obviously had similar interests in guitar and the music that we liked was the most popular music at the time when we started playing. So we're talking about hard rock, yeah. you know, metal guitar stuff. And, you know, along the lines of Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and you know, Warren Martini from Rat and right. these guys. So we're talking, you know, 82 to 88. This is a, a pivotal period of learning guitar and getting influenced by all that stuff. So... Uh, at that time, there wasn't 
any video footage where you could see how people played this stuff. That's and right. you'd listen to records and you'd imagine, you know, how are they doing that? What's the fingering? And what, what does this look like to play this stuff that you hear? And I had these fortunate experiences to actually be able to meet a lot of these players that you're mentioning um, and see how they did stuff up close. And that made such a big difference in how I was able to then uh, progress with what I was learning and, and my interest in, in guitar. Uh, but if you compare that to now with what you have for YouTube, virtually any song you can type it in and there's somebody trying to teach you how to play it. Not always right, but at least there's a version. There's a, can, there's a visual, a video aspect to go along with. You know, we had, well, I had guitar for the practice musician. You, you know, you had some, some uh, advantage. Yeah, it was, it was but, a little bit, it was a little different. Not to say that I, at any given moment, I could just call anybody up and say, yeah. "Hey, show me how do you do that." But I did have a few rare occasions where, you know, if you talk about Edward Van Halen. He came over to the house and uh, it was just based on a random phone call that came in from some guy purporting to be Eddie Van Halen. Turns out it was Eddie Van Halen, but so t 20 minutes later, he's at the house and he's got this guitar, which is uh, a purple um, Kramer guitar that uh, at the time he had a piece of tape over the headstock because no one was allowed to know what good wow. guitar he was using, <laughs> you know? So he's got this purple Kramer guitar and at that time, Steve Vai was in my dad's band, mm -hmm. and he was only about 19 or 20, maybe probably about 20 years old. Uh, so Steve Vai gets invited over. So it's, it's me, Edward Van Halen, Steve Vai, and my dad, and this purple Kramer guitar that Edward brought over. As soon as he walked in, uh, I basically made him plug in and show me how to play Mean Streets, Eruption, all that stuff. Of course you did, yeah, yeah. <laughs> of course. You know, it was like, uh, you, you gotta show me how that looks. But I'll remember the very first thing he did, just warming up when, when you know, he plugged the guitar in, was he played this open string lick and it, it was burned into my mind. I'll never not know what this was. This is the first thing that he did. Uh, Eddie Van Halen plugs in, he's in the house and he goes. Ah. A simple little open string thing. You very know, cool. but it was just. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's awesome, you know, because it's this cool rhythmic sound and it has open strings. But if I heard that and I didn't see it, I would say, how do you do that? Yeah, you know, it's uh, like he's from Mars, man, back then. Yeah. Now it's easy to, to sort of cop that, but to come up with it just... It was so unique and original to have those kind of moves put, put in there with the open strings and stuff. And my dad would do open string stuff, but it was not something that you could hear and say... Hey, yeah, let me do that. My dad would do something like, right? Which I want to, I want to talk about that too, because last time we sat down here and played, you really, I, I mean, of course, I'm a big fan of of all of Frank's stuff, but I never realized that there was a, there's, it's not a random randomness thing. There were actually patterns he worked out utilizing open strings. Yeah, that I I never really put that together. You know, I never got that. But but anyway, so Eddie, yeah, I mean, he comes over and. Didn't he go to your talent show or something? Yeah, it was a really funny thing. So the first time he comes over, he brings his guitar, and uh, the guitar keeps passing around in a circle. It's plugged into this amp at the house at the time in the studio at the Utility Muffin Research Kitchen. Um, Frank had a few of his uh, amps from from back off the road in there, but uh, it was one of these... Uh, it was a, The brand was acoustic, uh, so it was this little brown acoustic amp and it had a pretty good overdrive. It was a good sounding uh, tube amp. They normally made um, solid state stuff, but this was a, a, a really good sounding amp. And so it was the only one, you know, handy. It was like plugging into the equivalent of a, you know, Fender Twin or something, but this had more gain. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the guitar would just pass around in a circle and we would play stuff. And I had only been playing guitar for probably five or six months, you know, but the only thing I had been listening to over and over was Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and, and all this mm -hmm. stuff. So I was making, you know, pitiful attempts to play like, you know, mm -hmm. like really slow and bad, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. and, uh, and so I could see how he did it and all that kind of stuff up close. And of course, Steve Vai, who was certainly no slouch of a guitar player, uh, particularly right. at that time, playing all my dad's really hard melodies and, and things, you know, he got a lot out of seeing you know, Edward do that stuff up close. And 
Steve developed his own uh, two-hand tapping style that a lot of people started to mm -hmm. emulate after a while. But um, anyway, the experience of seeing some of that stuff up close and getting to ask questions about how we got the sound and what, how we came up with things, um, that was just a really pivotal thing in terms of uh, understanding how to play things and understanding the equipment used to, to get the sound and seeing that he used really super thin picks, mm. like not heavy at all, like you could just bend them and break them. Mm. They were really, really thin. I didn't realize that. Yeah, at that time when he came over, that's what he had. And um, uh, so, you know, the, the whole development of, of playing, um, you know, in my mind at that time, uh, eventually what I really wanted to be able to do was play my dad's music because you know realistically before I heard Van Halen or any other music of any kind I really only heard my dad's music or what he was working on at home uh, like what he was writing what he was listening to from his record collection so at a certain point when I was 12 years old I heard the rest of what everybody else in the world was listening to and it felt really weird because my, my initial reaction was, where's the rest of it? There was no other crazy rhythms and all the instrumentation. It seemed so plain and simple when yeah. I would hear stuff yeah. on the radio. I, I just was like, is this a joke? Like, yeah. where, where is everything? Hello, everybody. You know, where is it? You know? Yeah. Uh, but then I adapted. I got used to hearing some stuff. And obviously, you know, I could appreciate the simplicity for, for things. But I really did grow up just hearing like orchestral arrangements mm -hmm. of things and all these, these other uh, wild rhythms and so many layers of detail in every song. So it really threw me off to hear just regular pop songs. Uh, uh, but... In my mind, I, I thought my dad's music was so hard to play that I was like, oh, I gotta learn some other stuff before mm -hmm. I get to that. But I always wanted to learn the hard melodies, things that were in Inca Rhodes and St. Alfonso's Pancake Breakfast and all these things. Which are, man, really tough on guitar. Oh, yeah. they're just brutal on guitar. I mean, they weren't written to be played on guitar, and in fact, they were never played on guitar. Those particular interludes mm -hmm. were never played on guitar by anybody in Frank's band. So when I started playing my dad's music back in 2006, I made a point of really trying to show my dedication to the music by learning those things and making those playable on guitar. But that required two years of, of work to change my, uh, my whole approach to guitar, like mm -hmm. the picking and the mental aspect of it and everything, because that's not something that uh, you can just pick up at all, you know? I mean, it, it really... Uh, you have to experiment with every possible fingering. Course, it it yeah. takes a lot of time. And then it's one thing to play it while you're practicing and sitting in your living room. You know, it's another to be standing on stage and have the distraction of all of these things. And, and, and the pressure, yeah. The intricate rhythms. And, you know, the first time I ever heard you play, it was a sound page. And I was young then, but it was, I mean, you must have been 15, probably 14. It was a sound page in Guitar Player Magazine. And, the, and it was Whipping Charlena. Post or Charlena. Charlena. Okay, yeah. And I remembered. He's like, my son Dweezil yeah. will play the guitar solo on Charlena. Charlena. Yeah. And then in the middle of this, this yeah. song, it stopped, and, and Frank said, Battlestar Galactica? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I'll yeah. I'll never forget that. But, man, mm -hmm. you played a great solo on that. That I was, was at the Universal Amphitheater, and I was, uh, I think, about 15 at the yeah. time. And uh, I remember... Uh, anytime I got a chance to play with my dad, it was really exciting, but it was terrifying. Okay, ladies and gentlemen, my son, Dweezil. The Dweezil! Dweezil is going to play the guitar solo on a song from the Vemorus album called Charlena. I started playing guitar when I was 12. The first thing I ever recorded was a song called My Mother's a Space Cadet mm -hmm. with the flip side, Crunchy Water. And somehow or another, my dad convinced Edward Van Halen to produce this thing. 
but he wasn't able to have credit for it because of his record contract. So it says DeVards, produced by DeVards. Where'd that name come from? I don't know. Did your dad make that No, that was something from uh, Van Halen because it was Don Landy, the engineer who Ah. did uh, the original Van Halen stuff, and it was Edward Van Halen. Those were the two guys. So it was the DeVards. so we were, you know, everybody that played on that uh, was 12 years old, except for we brought in a different drummer because our drummer, uh, Edward Van Hill, was like, yeah, we got to get somebody that can play a little bit better than this. You know, so, <laughs> the drummer's always the first guy to get replaced, Yeah, uh, But <laughs> it turned out to be Warren Cucarulo's brother, Jay Cucarulo, and so he was about 18 or 20 at the time, and we were all 12. So Eddie Van Halen is trying to figure out how to work with us in the studio because none of us have ever been in the studio. It's all analog, so you know we don't know anything about punching in or any of that kind of stuff. So we got this massive lesson in, in recording recording technology, the, all the process <laughs> of everything. But I just I remember Edward just scratching his head saying, what am I supposing to do with you guys? Give you a milk and cookie break? Or, you know, it's like, you know. Uh, Did but, he walk in with like a case of Heineken back then? Uh, uh, at that time, I think there was some Heineken involved, you know. Uh, but it was um, it was just this surreal thing of I had been listening to a ton of Van Halen, and then out of nowhere he calls, comes over, and then within a month later we're recording the song, you know. same time I was doing a school talent show and uh, we me and the other guys that were in this you know band that that recorded on this we were gonna play running with the devil and uh, so somehow or another he ends up going to the sound check of this talent show now imagine this uh, at that time there he's the biggest guitarist rock star in the world yeah and he just comes to a school you know like in the late afternoon like three o'clock and he's in the school auditorium you know checking out our band playing running with the devil and so we i was playing the wrong chord and he came up behind me and so the guitar is uh on my shoulders but he stands behind me and he plays the guitar so i have guitar player perspective to see because I was uh, playing something like, um, you know, the riff is... Right. So, and I think I must have been doing... I wasn't getting... That was even closer than I came. I yeah. think I went... Uh, where are you? You're in the... That's the way I did it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I missed that. Well, so the, I, I was not getting this note in this part. Right. I got like... Oh, that's a different... You were still closer than me. Yeah, yeah so, uh, well, you got the... And you got the... <laughs> but I missed... You know, I had this... But I didn't have the other one. So it was it was funny because, uh, you know, he came up and said, Oh, you know, you got to play it like this. And so it was another one of those epiphany moments, like, oh, that's how you do yeah, it, I mean, you know? light bulb, yeah. And of course, you know, I was nowhere near uh, catching the phrasing on the, the verse with all the stuff that, uh, that he did so great, all those fills with the harmonics and, you know, right. all those, you know, uh, all that stuff. Yeah. all the dynamics and all that stuff you know but it what was funny was that he played most of the song um, uh, with the band 
So it was like he was obviously the best one in the band, you know. But uh, <laughs> so did you win the talent show? Uh, I don't even remember that part. You had I just to remember have won. I mean, if Eddie came to the talent show as a coach <laughs> and support, man. Come I on. do remember that part. But the one thing that was also pivotal was uh, he always did the best pick slides, hands down. He was like yeah. the pick slide wizard, you know. Yeah, and but he would always do one where it would start over here on the neck and then it would go down, you know. So. <laughs> Yeah. You know, with this sound, you can't get the, you know, know. Uh, you can't get the, the but so to see how he would do the pick slide uh, maneuver, that made a big difference, too, um, because, you know, you'd hear it. You go, how is he doing that? Mm -hmm. And it, just, it sounded like a jet plane taking off. And it was, I was it telling was you this morning, the first time I learned to go, well, what is it? Yeah. Just that. I was like, it was yeah. just like, it's so dumb now to, to look at that and think, how could you not figure that out? But when you're like 12 years old or 13, man, this was, uh, it was like being blind and being able to see, like go outside and go, wow, that's the sun. Yeah. <laughs> that's it, what the sun looks like. But the thing is, uh, it also, Nobody played like that, and uh, and it was out in the open. It was just a guitar solo, yeah. and the sound was so powerful. And we listened to it as kids so many times yeah. that we knew it better than the lyrics to any song or whatever. <laughs> yeah, the, the open string stuff that he would do was so creative, uh, and uh, so that that whole kind of thing really did sort of change at least my perspective of what your uh, what the rules are you you don't really have to have rules because you know once you start learning the, the proper names of some things and and the standard positions then you realize that some of the guys that do the best stuff don't care about any of those the proper things are disregarded um, I would say that about yourself because you know one of the things I, I notice about since we've been playing together and trading ideas the first time we ever sat down at near, in that lodge with the yeah. fireplace in the next building, we sat for hours and played and traded ideas. And I was thinking, man, Dweezil's coming from it. And it's not surprising considering, you know, Frank, I'm sure, the way you think. Everything is always, you know, I'm kind of like, I know a little bit of everything and I can kind of cop styles and fit in. But your thing is like, it's almost, you do everything with a completely original slant to it. You know, like even this morning we were coming up with picking exercises, you're like, yeah, well, this is cool, but I'd like to go, um, what were you doing? Well, I did a something thing to, to make it, it's, it's just a different way to look at it, like, right. The idea being that, you know, maybe you could make it sound more like a piano or a mandolin that has a doubled string in yeah. it so that you have the ring over and that overtone. Instead you know. of the stock guitar scale, why not come up with something more creative that's musical and pleasing to listen to at the same time? That's kind of what I got from what you were saying. Well, I kind and of try to look at anything five different ways if I can. So if the notes are going to be... That's one way that you could play it. You could also play it down here by the bridge. You know, but this other approach... You know, so I'm always looking at uh, what are the different colors and textures and timbres that can be available because when it comes to improvisation, uh, there's a pretty wide range of things that I get to do in, in the music of my, my dad's music and what I do at my shows. And I'm always looking for a way to not repeat myself and do the same thing over and over. I mean, I still have things that are... Uh, a go-to kind of idea, but I try to form them now these days into uh, it's a strategy, and I can attach different notes to it. So unless uh, it used to be much more like a pre-composed lick mm -hmm. mentality in the '80s, you know, everybody right. would write a solo and it was a performed composition. It was part of the whole thing. It was very rare that anybody just did an off-the-cuff improvised solo. Uh, in in terms of the music that we were talking about before, you know Van Halen and Randy Rhodes and Warren Demartini, Warren, yeah. a lot of those things were uh, these are great guitarists making sure that they put all of their best licks together 
in the composition so yeah. that it's the most impressive thing in the shortest amount of time and yeah. it works for the song. And that was uh, a perfectly viable way to go. But uh, when you start getting into stuff like in my dad's music where it's much more, uh, you have to be more like an athlete and react in the moment. You have to be able to see what's happening, hear what people are doing and pick up on it and make it more like you're telling a story. It's mm -hmm. a conversation. And that was the hardest thing to adapt to because I didn't have such a, a strong vocabulary or depth of vo vocabulary to, to be able to operate in that way. That's why I, it took me two years to study the music and change my technique to even begin to have the tip of the iceberg you know, to, to do what was necessary. And so it was only then that I really felt like um, I stumbled on a few ideas that I, I discovered were really kind of my own path, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's the kind of irony of it is that by doing somebody else's music, especially my father, who I'm obviously related to, that massive comparison, a lot of people say, oh, isn't it terrible to be standing in the shadow of your father? I'm like, no, because I'm amazed by his work. I, yeah. I'm a fan like anybody else. And, and I have a, a connection to it and, a, and a, a, a desire to present it in a way that I would care about it probably more than anybody yeah. else to do it the, the right well, you way. you are. I mean, you yeah. are keeping it alive and, like, and put, not just keeping it alive. I mean, you've explored th some of those compositions on guitar and he, you know... A lot of those guys, like I doubt Steve Vai played any of that stuff. Well, a lot of it. Some of some of the things like um, Inca Rhodes and Saint Alfonso's. Uh, you know, Steve did a, a couple tours with us where he played mm -hmm. uh, nightly um, on stuff, and he hadn't played some of Frank's music for a long time. And when he did have to go back to playing the Black Page and some other things, he. It was. It brought back a lot of uh, memories, great ones, but also a lot of stress because you know Frank was a stickler for having this stuff played right. Yeah. And but he did say that Saint Alfonso's and Inca Rhodes. He tried to learn them. He said, but I just I couldn't do it. You know, wow. I ran out of the room uh, because it just they are so unfriendly on the guitar, and it, it really took me a long time, like months and months, to find a workable fingering for, for some of this stuff. Even I know you were probably you were obviously interested in guitar at this point, but when when your dad had the bands going rehearsing, did you used to hang at rehearsals maybe and check stuff out, or were you not really into it? At that I point? always wanted to be around to see what he was using, how he was using it, see what Steve was using, and yeah. watch him try to play some of those parts. And they would know? go on for like eight hours and stuff. Those rehearsals, or I would yeah, I mean I I wouldn't stay for the whole thing, but I would definitely check out a lot of stuff, and then at all the shows. I loved when um, the orchestral pieces like uh, Strictly Genteel or Dog Meat or... I love uh, Gregory Peckery. Yeah, oh, Gregory Peckery is Studio amazing. Studio 10, that whole record, I always yeah, love that. I, I mean, revised music for a low-budget orchestra is another great favorite that, to me, uh, within the next year or so, the Gregory Peckery and revised music, I'd love to be able to take some time and really get those together because that really would take months of time to to get that stuff. And me, I don't read music. I learn this stuff mm -hmm. by ear. The band, everybody else in the band is great at, at learning uh, by reading. Um, so it takes a, a, a lot of concentration and a lot of effort for me to memorize those things, like learn how to play them, I find the way to play it, and then, you know. And I tried to it. learn the Black Page once, and I, I actually ordered the transcription from Barking Pumpkin. I still have it. 
um, like it's a two-page fold-out on yep. pretty good car, uh, paper stock. Yeah. You know, I tried. It, it, I, I could probably do it now, but back then I could get way ha halfway through it, you know, and then I was just like, ah. <laughs> it's really, really hard. There's there's a couple of parts in it that um, they, they it, it's murderous for the right hand, you yeah. know. Um, I mean, there's, there's one passage, and if I just play it really slow, I found a, a sort of elegant solution for this, but... This is the kind of thing that uh, took months of time. So, for example, there's this part that uh, play it really slow. And then it goes into this phrase. Right, so that's really slow and it still sounds uh, like a pretty cool thing but the the tr the real tricky part starts with this section right here where you have a doubled note on the b uh, b string and it's a b note so when i was first learning it and i was trying to learn it slow i would go to the e at the 12th fret and then i on the e string and then i would go to the b on the 12th fret on the uh, the b on the the 12th fret and that's a a pick move from one string to another and then you have to double that B note so so slowly I see. so <laughs> you you can do that at that tempo but as it gets faster and then your next note is here so wow. so it when you start getting faster it starts getting much more treacherous so I could not find a way when I was trying to get it up to tempo to get from that doubled note to that lower interval and so my solution became that I would take this E and then the B and then I play B on the G string uh, several frets up the unison right and so I do this and then hammer on that note right there so I go because at tempo, it's that fast. Tempo. It's that fast. Wow. Yeah. So, so, and then that next part is also a beast because it's. So, when you have these doubled notes, it's really hard for the right hand so what I tried to figure out there to make that easiest was I, I looked at it as these little chord shaped things so out of context it's hard to remember sometimes so the uh, yeah so But the whole thing. It's a brutal passage, yeah, you know. Man. So it, it, it took me months and months to try to get it up to speed, you know, and I would play it from. good as I could play it at wow. the moment having not practiced it yeah, but it's uh I'm looking at your right hand too it's just like it's working it man you had to yeah the, the really the, use some creative uh solutions to pull that off that's that's pretty much everything in in guitar technique to pull that off man yeah the, the unison and notes and the, the the tricky thing is when you start using that sort of um economy picking type of thing you have to have this feeling of the pick almost never leaving the string like you can't there's no space for the pick to bounce off and move to like so every bit of motion is is there so that it's constantly on one part of one string or the other you know and it's it's just this really 
inside movement of from one string to another with with this kind of stuff and it it almost ends up looking like a little circle yeah you know yeah but uh that kind of stuff is just wicked uh so there's there's other things like in um like Inca Rhodes where uh you have these groups of seven I've still played that pretty sloppy right there, but I mean that like right that passage that took me months just to even yeah. get oh, close, and that's yeah. not even the the, the yeah. main tempo. And the the worst part about that tune is that when you do that part once, and then you have to play it double time, so you like at the real tempo of that the first time, it's like sorry. I keep messing it up. Right, but then later in the song... But the thing is, like, <laughs> like with that, you know, like that sound right there is so unforgiving. It's absolutely well, I mean, you're like playing through a pretty unforgiving tone and like yeah. nailing that man to Well, me. I mean, that, that that right there is so. That's kind of like the 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 test uh, is to try to play it on the cleanest sound possible yeah. and see if you can execute all the parts. And having not warmed up, that's about as good as yeah. I could do for that like super super fast section. But it's uh, that. You can see the shapes and everything that's involved. Yeah. That was the only way that I could make that playable. And looking at it, it looks like you know uh, it's a it's a, a spider's Pretty nest. Daunting you know. Task. I mean, did you dab just write constantly? Like his output, he was so prolific. I mean, do you, I mean he was just yeah. Constantly he working. he had the ability to have a blank piece of paper, get on an airplane. And uh, you know, by the time he finished the flight, he'd have an orchestral movement written for every instrument. Like he could hear wow. it in his head, and he could just score out, uh, you know, the percussion of strings, horns, everything. You know, Amazing. Uh, so he could just get in a zone and just do it. And not only that, the if you looked at his handwriting, it was perfect. It was very artistically done. It wasn't sloppy. Mm -hmm. You, you looked at it and it's like a, a finished manuscript. I mean, that's the crazy part is he, he could be so specific about the idea and then also on paper, it was so organized. Wow. And so that was the, something that was amazing. There's, there's a, a, a piece of music that's called uh, Redunzel mm -hmm. and uh, there's a great story about how my dad was always trying to get Ruth Underwood to improvise and she was an incredible musician uh, and she, uh, for sure has the capability to, to improvise, but she's so shy that she would just uh, say no. And she, he tried so many times to get her to improvise. Just, oh, no, no, I can't, I can't do it. And so one night uh, at a rehearsal, or uh, I think it was actually at a sound check, he, he said, uh, okay, well, if you're not going to improvise, then you're going to play this. And he stood in front of her and he just wrote this thing down. And so, like, three, four minutes after, you know, it's just like a stream of consciousness thing. Is you're going to play this. And it ended up being uh, the melody to the song Redunzel, which, when you hear it, it's a, a marimba part. Yeah. And it's out in the open. Uh, and it's this amazing composition, a beautiful uh, interlude. Uh, but he just basically said, well, if you're not going to improvise, you're going to play this. And just, like was looking at her and he's just writing these notes down and, and that was like the first thing. He didn't ever like play it or hear it or it was just it a stream of consciousness uh, written on paper thing. What you know? was it, what, maybe uh, we could talk about, there's so many things, we we're gonna run out of time, but I had a couple things. Outside now, you yeah. remember you showed me, yeah. I never thought that there was this much to it and you showed me those two chords and the way the open strings lie in the middle of the fretted notes and it's just, like yeah. a beautiful, 
contour, like shape. What's cool about it is that uh, he used it also in the song Blessed Relief. So if you heard the song Blessed Relief, he does this thing where he just strums from the high E string down to the low E string and he goes. Mm -hmm. Right, so. And then we have the dinner bell. Hey, it's right? almost kind of in the same. Yeah. Right, yeah. and so that song came out before Outside Now, but Outside Now is. So yeah, that was a that was a. I never realized that it's such a, a really beautiful. What's cool about shape. it though is the outside now, it's you basically strum uh, one note on each string on the way up, and then you move the chord shape up a full step, and then starting on the B string, uh -huh. and then you hit one note on each. So you have one, two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five, one, ah. two, three, four, five, six, one, two, three, four, five. So it's an eleven. You know? Yeah. You know? I think I'll play the guitar Yeah. And there's still a long time to go before I paid my debt to society. And all I ever really wanted to do was play the guitar and bend the string like ring tune 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 I've got it. And so, you know, you got that beautiful sound that he's got. He's got all these tonalities. But then, what's so cool is that he'll just rip it up with it. Yeah, yeah, and then, but it's like still, you know, over this. Man, you know, um, Aaron, Aaron Neville, yeah, Aaron, I've worked with, he's a friend, and um, I saw him last week, and he said, what are you doing next week? I said, I'm going to Montana, doing this guitar playing, I mentioned your name. He goes, yeah. man, you know, Frank Zappa called me one time in the 80s. I said, really? Wow. He goes, yeah, he called me and he said, I want you to do this opera, like sing on this opera. <laughs> the and thing he, we could opera. Never, we could never get it scheduled and, and Aaron didn't do it. And that's, I thought, it must be Thingfish. Yep, so it was he, Thingfish. It, it never happened, but he had called Aaron. Yep, that would have been pretty amazing. <laughs> right? Yeah, but I Thingfish did. is... Thinkfish is a crazy, crazy record, but what's funny is uh, my dad had so many different records, so much variation from record to record, so much depth and variety in the music, but you, if you think of all the starting points that somebody could have uh, for just selecting a random record, you know, okay, the first record you ever hear is Thinkfish. It's pretty out. I, yeah. I like it. It's out. And I'm a, I'm a Dale Bozio and all these, yeah, I like all that stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, one of the things I always liked about your dad's music is regardless of my mood, like usually I'm in a, I have to be in a mood to listen to jazz or I'm in a mood to something. But Frank's music, man, it doesn't matter. If I'm yeah. kind of down, it makes me laugh. Yeah. If I want to listen to something like kind of technical it does that yeah if I just want to feel good and like laugh it's just it's got everything it's got humor and that's one thing I always liked about it. that's rare it's tough to to uh, imagine anything that is comparable to it uh, and really when you come down to like the specifics of what it takes to to write something and arrange and all that stuff in Western music we have 12 tones, right? Yeah. You know, and it just sounds like Frank had an extra 35, you know, sitting, you know, that no one yeah. knows about. Like he had the special toolbox that had the the other, because he didn't have predictable patterns in his composition, and uh, he didn't have a go-to kind of thing. So even when you think, oh, this must be like this, other, when you start to learn these songs and you pick it apart, he really at every step 
throws a curveball. I mm -hmm. mean, it, there's there's almost never an occasion where you can find something that's so consistently like another song of his. Uh, so that's what is is so shocking because he's got thousands of songs and and even when he would go on tour, he would rearrange stuff so a version that you might hear on a record is not what he would play live. You know, yeah. so he never. Uh, had anything have a static he never played it safe i don't know yeah. if he intended on that but he definitely was you know uh, that's amazing man but the energy to just rearrange even what you've already recorded right you know and meanwhile he's got all these other things in his head probably yeah and that's awesome. that's what's mind-blowing work ethic yeah yeah I, I mean, I think you you definitely have that focus. I see the way you play and the way you teach and the way you, you know, the way you um, elaborate on, on things. And I think it's about focus. I feel like I can focus when I need to. Uh, it gets harder and harder um, these days, uh, but that's just environmentally because my, uh, my time uh, is so split uh, with, you know, back... Before I was married, before I had kids, I had a lot of time to play guitar and really think about stuff and really take the time to to work things out. And now uh, that balance is much more difficult. I don't have uh, 10 hours a day to yeah. practice and work on stuff. I might have 45 minutes, you know? And yeah. so I have to cram stuff in all the time and I always feel like I'm on the other side of the clock, you know? Yeah. It's like, it's a... a and even in that kind of environment, when you try to think about being creative and doing your own music, you know, even if you did block nine to five, you can't just say, hey, you know what, I'm gonna be super creative from nine to five. I know, it's you know? so hard to do that. You can't just turn it on, I can't just turn it on. But. Yeah, so that's another reason why it's like, how did my dad do what he did? You know, how did he get that much music? I thought about that a lot. You know? <laughs> I wanted to I wanted to tell the people about the uh, the shrimp boots thing because I think that's cool. Yeah, um, it's been probably ten years or more now. But a friend of mine, I unbeknownst to me, entered me into this guitar contest. It's way more than ten years since Is that it, contest. Really? Yeah, oh, I lost it, track of time. Yeah, it's it's closer 15, to 14. it's closer to twenty years now. It can't almost. be twenty. It's close. Cool. I didn't record that record twenty years ago. I mean, it's between fifteen and twenty years. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess. Maybe. I mean, you would know more than me, but I doubt if yeah. it's 20. Because I did that record about 16 years. You think? Well, it, yeah. it's definitely more than 15, I'm feeling. But, uh, but the thing but is, anyway, yeah. I, here's my recollection. I, made a, um, I did a project with PV uh, Music Incorporated, right? They, they made this amplifier called the Wiggy. And uh, one of the things that we did when we were promoting it was we were trying to see if there were any guitar players out there who had any instrumentals that could enter a contest and then we'd give away one of these amps and see if somebody could then you know make some recordings with this wiggy amp that I designed and so you know I was talking to the people in Mississippi where um, PB was based and we said let's let's make this little contest and so it got underway and and I remember listening to dozens and dozens of things that came in from uh, people who entered the, the contest. And uh, there was one track that, that came in, and first of all, it was the name, Shrimp Boots. <laughs> I, I said, wait a minute, I gotta listen to this one. <laughs> you know, it, I hadn't even heard a note, and I'm like, I bet I'm gonna like this one. You know, Shrimp Boots, you know, and I'll so... I'll tell you after where that name comes <laughs> from, because it, it's probably, you'd never guess. Okay, yeah. well, the, the thing that happens is it comes on, and I'm like, that's a tuba playing bass, you know, and it's this cool thing, and it's got a groove, and it's got, like, interesting... Uh, guitar playing and and I was like automatically like this guy has to have a wiggy you know like I like hands down it was I didn't even need to listen to anything else I was like that's the one
And so uh, I didn't know anything about it other than it was just a song called Shrimp Boots. I don't even think they told me the names of the people who, they just gave me songs, you know. I, I said, see. that's the one, you know. And uh, so it was just hilarious uh, that uh, later on when we met, you're like, hey, you know, remember that song Shrimp Boots? Oh, that was you? <laughs> <laughs> I still have the amp, man. Yeah, I still have that amp. I, um, that, the shrimp boots is, uh, that's a term like in South Louisiana, like Cajun people, like I'm talking like people that are like shrimpers, like yeah. really out in the sticks. Mm -hmm. They wear these white rubber boots. Yeah. And they could, they're called shrimp boots. That's what they're known as, <laughs> yeah. shrimp boots. <laughs> and so nobody would ever guess that because yeah. it's like a, a you know it's a really regional thing it's yeah like, like people even in New Orleans don't even know what this yeah. is it's like out in the bayou you yeah know? and I, I just titled his shrimp boots and a friend of mine <laughs> sent that track in and he goes you should enter this contest I was like yeah and he sent it in and about two months later I get a call out of the blue saying we want to know where we can send this amp Dweezil Zappa said you're yeah. the winner and I was like what <laughs> but I still have the amp. And, uh, <laughs> it's funny how things, uh, you know, it's just funny. I'm going to check that date, but yeah. I know it wasn't 20 years ago, Dweezil, I don't think. There's so many things, but <laughs> I, I think it would be fun to talk about the, the Warren D. Martini lick. So Dweezil, oh, sure. we were sitting a few years ago and we were playing like all these songs we both knew instantly, like Rat, Lay It Down and all these things. And you played, you said, man, you know what was cool is the way I played the solo. Oh, what was it? The ending. Yeah. You're like, yeah, but it wasn't that. He, the way he did it was like a half step bit. Or something like that. Right. And I was like, but also I never would have thought of a half step bend, you know. Right, in that way with like a half step double stop, right. you know. But the... But the, the lick itself has that cool rhythm. I love that lick. Yeah. <laughs> and so you, we yeah. did that, and two months later, Warren came to the sound check at Holly, um, the Greek theater in LA. I, you know, we were hanging out, yeah. and I said, he, we, I was, I got, man, I gotta ask you something. While you're here, <laughs> I said, is this how you play Lay It Down? Is this the way you play the solo? <laughs> he goes, yeah, the picking part's right, but I didn't bend like that. I did, I did that. And I was like, well, Dweezil said that you showed him, and it was a half-step bend. He goes, I don't remember that. Well, so, he probably hadn't listened to the record in a while, is my <laughs> guess. Because, I mean, I feel like uh, if you listen to it, you're going to hear a half-step uh, yeah, on there. And great. I remember, you know, picking his brain uh, on, a, on a bunch of the licks. Uh, and just watching his his picking hand, you know, he had that fanned out yeah, Randy Rhodes like style. Like George Lynch, too. Yeah, George Lynch, Randy Rhodes, they all had that thing. And and I guess that what that really does is it puts a lot of accent on you know, any downstroke, you know, because your hand is in a pretty yeah. rigid position. And I used to do all that stuff, uh, uh, you know, and you can get some uh, some good speed out of the pick that way, but a lot of it is tension based. Yeah. You know, uh, and I when I started to try to play my dad's stuff, like there's no way that I could rely on that. I have to be as relaxed as possible, and I started changing everything mm -hmm. about uh, how I play. And and these days, I'm even starting to use my fingers more for more hybrid options for things. Uh, just for yes, you know, another sort of tonality change um, and dynamic change, and and one thing that I hope to be able to use in some form, uh, I'm I'm getting interested in in how to create polyrhythms on guitar. So I'm trying to find a way where I can have a a picking pattern that stays on the low three strings and a picking pattern that stays on the high three strings, mm -hmm. but they're individually operating. Wow. So it has to have like a, the pick being used on the low strings and the fingers on wow. the high strings. Yeah. And I'm looking for strategies to recreate sort of rhythms from like a drum groove or something. And I haven't quite got it all together, but I'm trying to map it out in a way. And one of the things that I'm trying to do to get some, um, some dexterity to be able to do it, uh, which may, might lead to other things, is I'm, I'm trying to match my right hand fingers to my left hand finger fingers. So if I play something chromatic, I'm gonna pick with my pinky and play with my pinky. 
and then I'm gonna pick with my third finger and play with my third finger, then pick with my second oh, finger. To develop a yeah, point. so that they they mirror each other. Sync, yeah, synchronization. So it's like uh, finger, 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 pick, finger, 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 pick, but it's an individual finger each time. I see. It looks pretty crazy. Yeah. The problem with it is that you have to float your hand. As you see, you can't anchor it anywhere. And so like when you get... And so you are basically in outer space trying to learn to, to find the, the first note. Uh, you know, it's like you were talking about practicing in the dark. This is, you're in the dark even when the lights are on, you know? <laughs> Yes. And what's the name of it? Does it, it have a name? It's called What the Hell Was I Thinking? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and it's, uh, it has been Speaking underway. Yeah, it's been like, uh, I did start it uh, in the early 90s, and the idea behind it was um, I wanted to make a continuous piece of music that was the entire length of a CD. So start to finish, <laughs> one piece of music that just constantly <laughs> changes and morphs. So you think of it like an audio movie where all of the audio actors are really famous. Like if it was a film, you would have somebody in the foreground and even the extras would be super famous. It'd be like Schwarzenegger and Stallone in the background having coffee while you got Jack Nicholson in the front talking to you know Gwyneth Paltrow or whatever. And so what you have in the audio version of that is that there's music happening and then suddenly well-known characters start spilling out of the speakers. You know, you'll have Van Halen or Steve Morris yeah. or Brian May or Angus and Malcolm Young or Ingve Malmsteen or Eric Johnson. Who you have these people. Yeah, right? they're all on there. Uh, but uh, from moment to moment, the music sort of changes and it allows for uh, you to hear people sometimes completely out of context and sometimes totally in their element, you know. And that's what's kind of fun about it is that you take a detour and like suddenly it's a slow blues but it's Ingve Malmsteen on the yeah, slow blues, that's you know. Hey man, I would, I'd love you to finish that. If you yeah, hear it, well, you know? I gotta get you to play on it. <laughs> you know? I'd love to. Man. Yeah, I'll find a good spot for you. I love the uh, the one you did, uh, Confessions. You had one song where you had Zach Wilde and and Warren D. Martini on it, I think. Yeah. And you could hear the personalities come out. You know? Yeah, and uh, there was I think there was like four solos on that one, and it was a bunch of different guys. Uh, maybe Steve Lukather was on that too. I think so. Uh, Tim man. Pierce. Yeah. yeah, something, you know, so a bunch of different guys. Cool. Uh, it's been so long, I can't even remember who was uh, on that yeah. one. Because I've worked with a lot of different people over the years, which has always been a good thing. With that particular project, uh, what the hell was I thinking? Uh, it was also kind of a, a bit of espionage, you know, because uh, I would get to work with people and then see what gear they used, yeah. how they used it, you know. Uh, and And some people were amazing at just like everything was a first take you know like for example Angus Young played a first take solo and it was it was absolutely perfect you don't need to do any more but I, I he was there so I said let's just do a couple more he did six different solos and equally they were all they had a beginning middle and end and they flowed and they all sounded great and he didn't really repeat wow. himself and he just like and it was it was just perfect, you know. Uh, what was he playing over? What was the part? Do you remember it was a riff? real sort of ACDC style thing, like. Oh, yeah. It has some kind of thing going on. And then, uh, but he, uh, he just has such a cool phrasing style. Yeah, and like, his and, vibrato and, his, and stuff. Is but his vibrato is the hardest to copy because he gets right up to the note and then he just shakes it from there. So. Yeah. I can't even get it because it's like it's so fast. I know I can't like, do it either. It's it's 
And I don't, uh, I always watched him do it. And I was like, how does he do that? You know, and I also looked at it and I was like, where does he get those big SGs? And then I realized, oh, he's, he's not that big of a guy. Right, he's like, you know? yeah, he's a small guy. Yeah. So, yeah, I can't so he, do that. I cannot get his vibrato at all because uh, he really does just get it up to pitch and shake it really fast yeah. right there. It's not like a wide vibrato at all, but it's a really quick one, you know? And so he's, he's kick ass with, with that. Uh, but uh, Malcolm also played some rhythm guitar on it, and uh, so cool. it was basically ACDC, you know. Wow. So that was really cool. Um, there are a lot of cool players. There's a guy named John Bryan who does a lot of film scores these John days. I love John I didn't yeah. know he was involved. I'm a huge yeah. John Bryan fan. I saw him at, uh, actually, Sheila and I saw him a few years ago at Largo. Yeah, And it amazing. was one of the most mind-blowing things. The solo show, you know, where yeah. he's, like, taking requests and yeah. singing Purple Rain, like Tom Waits playing, yeah. you know, marimba, and it was unbelievable, man. Yeah, he's really, really good. And then um, he, uh, but what was great about that was he played acoustic guitar and baritone guitar and electric guitar, but uh, he he worked out uh, like three or four parts over this one thing, and there's some different changes and stuff, but. He just, he would play one part and then he, okay, let me try another one. And then he would pick up a different guitar and he'd play it. And it was all first take stuff and all the parts intertwined and like just worked together like wow. a puzzle. And it was He's just- a studio cat, genius, yeah. man. It really, really cool. And there were a couple people like that. Joe Walsh uh, came in and did one track of slide and one track of, um, uh, what's the talk box, you know? Oh, wow. Like, but so he brought in a little Fender amp, plugged in, we rolled the track, first take, did the next one, and he was in and out in under 15 minutes. Wow. You know, so it was just crazy. He like, it was absolutely perfect, each one that he did. Right tone, right personality, and... Wow. Uh, and what was really funny was that he made the guitar say my name, so it was like, Dweezil! Oh, man, you gotta finish this, yeah. man. It's gotta see, you know, people have to hear it. I definitely will. You know, one of the things that's changed about it, though, is that, um, in the beginning, I was actually putting in little pieces of my dad's music, uh, uh, but I'll take all those out because I've been playing so much of my dad's music that I don't I don't need to put that in there. Yeah. You know, at that time, that was my way of doing a little bit of a tribute to my dad's stuff. Yeah. But um, so some of those sections will uh, be replaced with you know more original music. We actually are out of time, but maybe we could just play something real quick and then we're, we're done. Sure. Like, uh, what was... Oh, yeah. What are you playing? What are you using this solo over that? That's a... Yeah, this is Treacherous Cretans is the name of this, like, vamp, you know, so... Yeah. So you get kind of an A minor, I mean, um, yeah, A minor and a D major kind of thing. Oh, A minor, uh, D major. Yeah, and and so the thing that's cool about it is that it, it just has this melancholy sound. So. Thank mm -hmm. you. 
God. Nice. Oh, we're kind of getting yeah. in a bit, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah. We'll do it again. Wow, that was a lot of stuff. If you made it this far and you're still here, thank you. You're a true fan. I want to ask you one favor. If you haven't done so already, please go to iTunes and leave me a little love. Um, a couple star review, good review, or a nice comment. It really helps this thing uh, pop up on the ratings and the search engines. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. See you next time.